Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. Take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Hey, y'all, this is episode 151 of Reclaiming the Faith, and today my wife and I get into the third chapter of Philippians. We look at verses 1 through 7 and how Paul basically gives his uh, resume, his stats for if someone could boast in uh, fleshly confidence to stand before Jesus, like he's the guy, and yet once he encountered Jesus, he realized that all that he thought was gain was actually loss. This was a really fun episode to record, so I hope it's a blessing to you. And if it is, please consider leaving a rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency, and you can catch the latest episode of Ready With An Answer there on the Omega Frequency podcast channel, so go check that out. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get into episode 151. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All right. Anyone ever uh, been teaching a lesson and you're like, all right, so now we're going to bring it home. And then you go off on a few different rabbit trails for a while. We're like, all right, I'm, I'm bringing this plane in to land. And then the message teaching or whatever, the sermon keeps going for 15 or 20 minutes. Do they teach you those kind of things in like seminary? Like this is how you, these are phrases you say when you're wrapping them up because a lot of pastors use the same ones. Yeah, I think some lessons are more caught than taught. <laughs> and uh, that's just something we see our heroes doing. And we're like, I can do that too. Yeah, okay. You know, and, and maybe it comes from Paul. Because yeah. uh, you see here, Stephanie, you said this is like halfway through the book, right? Mm-hmm. And the first thing he says in chapter three is, finally. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I still got two chapters, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Get comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been guilty of that quite a bit. So. <laughs> a lot of long sermons back in the day. Uh, well, finally, my brethren, Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord. Kind of a theme that's been going on through Philippians. He says, to write you the same things is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you as well. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm just going to get my water, but okay. it's in an awkward position. All right. 
So uh, you remember um, that word rejoice is basically to be mindful of God's grace in a situation. So like, how have we seen God work throughout the day? How have we seen God working um, in online school times? You know, that are so, Mm -hmm. it's so tough. It's so stretching, but how have we seen God coming through? Yeah. And Paul says that um, it's no trouble for him to remind them to rejoice in the Lord. And he says it's a safeguard for the Philippians. That safeguard uh, means to not totter um, properly. It's, it's secure because you're on a solid, you're on solid footing. So uh, I experienced um, a lack of solid footing when we went to Nashville and uh, we went out, we drove about 45 minutes away from Nashville to this place where there's like this beautiful waterfall along this river. I don't remember what river it was. Machine Falls, I think was what it's called. Yeah. And so I foolishly did not bring Crocs or sandals. I don't think it's foolish for you to not bring Crocs. Well, <laughs> other people were wearing Crocs in this yeah. riverbed and walking along uh, sandal because, kind of things. Yeah, there's a lot of algae on the rocks in the water. And so when Stephanie finally convinced me to get out there and be with the uh, the others and her, I you know got my shoes and socks off and had my swimsuit on. And you so came I'm out there to, out. to help me, I believe, thinking that I was struggling. Yeah, I'm going to help her out a little bit. <laughs> so I'm like walking across a river and the first, I don't know, in the first five steps I took, Totally ate it right on my bottom. You I was left walk- out an important part. One foot was up on a ledge and the other was down about a foot lower. So he did like the splits across that and Superstar. caught himself with his hands. It was yeah, <laughs> it was a good moment. I'm glad he was okay. But yeah. then I was able to laugh. <laughs> and that wasn't the only tumble you took. It wasn't. No. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> Just a like little while later. <laughs> he was okay. He's all right. But, uh, you know, having some Crocs on would have provided me a sure footing. Let's say Chacos, um, okay? Because I feel chacos? like Crocs you slide around in. Okay, all right. Yeah. So I thought I didn't need that sure footing. You know, and Paul's saying, look, I mean, you guys need to rejoice so you don't do the splits in front of about 100 people and look foolish. But um, just a real question for for the chat out there and for you, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is rejoicing in the Lord uh, as an act, how is that act a safeguard for us? Oh man, it's so in my podcast, a lot of times I'll ask what helps people to stay faithful. And like nine times out of 10, it's remembering God's goodness and being thankful, um, to, you know, for what he's done in the past, remember, remember, remembering, really going back through it and, um, giving credit to God for all those things remind us that he's taking care of situations in the past and he's going to take care of them in the future. Mm-hmm. And when we're when we get just a little bit out of those really hard situations, it can be so important or it can be so difficult to remember that, but to like put yourself back in it. That's why like journaling is really good when you can actually hear with your own voice basically. Oh man, I really thought I wasn't going to make it through this stuff and mm-hmm. with God's help I did and not only did I survive it, God did something great in that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, these uh, certain people have been following Paul around. Um, You remember him going to Antioch. They're there. 
when he goes to uh, Lystra, Iconium, and Derby, they're there. When he goes to Thessalonica, you know these these types of people are there, and um, these people called Judaizers, and they were in many ways. I mean, they're professing Christians that are saying that people have to follow uh, the Torah per, specifically that these Gentiles who are coming to faith need to be circumcised. All right. And so Paul gets into this, this issue and I'm going to put this up on the screen. So he says, finally, my brothers, my brethren, my family rejoice in the Lord to write some, these same things again is no trouble to me. And it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evildoers. Beware of the false circumcision. This word beware means to properly see or be observant. Suggests to see something physical with spiritual results. So it's going to say, look, these these physical things that are happening, these, these people that um, you need to be aware of, they have a spiritual implication to you. If you read the book of Galatians, um, people that were not circumcised that decide to get circumcised to follow Jesus, he's like, that is that is not a good thing. That's leading you down the wrong path, the wrong spiritual path. And so let's get into what he's saying here because it's interesting the, um, the language that he uses to describe these people. He says, beware of the dogs. These dogs, uh, basically, was dogs was a metaphor for uh, Gentiles. It's one of the ways that Jews viewed them as dogs. Um, they're unclean. All right. So Paul here is calling these uh, Jewish Christians or professing Christians um, that are saying that you Gentiles need to be circumcised too. He's saying that they are dogs. They're like a Gentile now. And he says that they're evil workers. And, you know, the Gentiles would be viewed as evil workers. If you read Leviticus 18, uh, with all the sexual immorality stuff, um, God says that it's because of these evil works, basically, that he's driving out the uh, Gentile people of the promised land. These are evil workers. And he says that they are the false circumcision, the false circumcision. If there's a false circumcision, there's a true circumcision. And we're going to get into that for a second. But um, it's really interesting with this false circumcision. He says that, uh, sorry, this word basically means a mutilation. Think circumcision gone wrong. Like a horrific kind of thing that happened. I was listening to um, this podcast about the, uh, I think it's the Hale-Bopp people, that cult that believed that they mm -hmm. were going to um, like fly out on a ship basically and, and meet the aliens or whatever in the air. Um, several of them had, uh, well, they became eunuchs, but the first one, evidently the leader of that, um, his procedure uh, did not go very well. 
and Paul, I mean, it's a gross thing that we're talking about here, but that's what Paul is actually describing here. And you're going to see Paul use some really, really harsh language in Philippians 3. In fact, he's going to use a word that we're going to see next week, which is about as close to a curse word as you're going to get uh, in the New Testament. And so um, it's going to be, it's going to be rough. But Paul is speaking just like an Old Testament prophet would. Read the book of Jeremiah, read Ezekiel, and in those two books, you're going to see some really graphic, gross language that's designed to shock people. It's, it's purposeful language, and that's what Paul is doing here. Um, so these people that have been delighting in the fact that they're circumcised, Paul says, your circumcision is a mutilation. You've mutilated yourself spiritually, basically. It's very interesting. Mm. So let me put this back up on the screen. Remember, starting in verse 2, beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and, uh, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. All right, so we're going to look at each of those phrases. But first, let's start with the true circumcision. Now, remember, though, Paul, Paul is not a Gentile. Paul is circumcised. He's a Jew. But he's saying there's a true circumcision that is not about the flesh. And then there's this false circumcision that is about the flesh. So let's look at Romans chapter 2, where Paul addresses um, what a real Jew is and what, a real, what real circumcision is. Okay. So he says in Romans 2.28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. And I want to give an example from Matthew 6, where Jesus is basically demonstrating what a circumcision of the heart looks like, where someone's praise is not from men, but from God. Someone who's inwardly uh, circumcised to God, someone who's set apart to God inwardly. It's in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, beware, again, same language, right? Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. So this righteousness here often would be like almsgiving, uh, looking, doing justice in the world. Uh, justice and righteousness are, are words that are very, very similar in the Hebrew. And so these acts of justice would be like acts of righteousness in a sense. And you get an example of that from Jesus right here. Verse 2. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret 
will reward you. That's acting in a way that's like circumcised of the heart. You're not out for showy stuff. You're not trying to impress men. You are devoted to God, but you're seeking praise from him who sees in secret. I'm you just going to say Matthew's. Yeah, let's, let's put Matthew's stuff up here. So Matthew writes uh, in Galatians 3, 28 through 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Welcome, D. Hey, D. Hey, Jennifer. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, all right. So let's continue. So true circumcision we looked at. Now let's look at what it looks like to worship in the spirit of God. And real quick, let me show this. You see a Trinitarian line here. Uh, and it's, it, it's kind of subtle, but it's there. People who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. So he doesn't just say the spirit, but he says the spirit of God and Christ Jesus. A little Trinitarian line right there. Pretty neat. But what does it look like to worship in the spirit of God? So this word worship is not the word that we often think of when when we think about worship with like proskuneo. So prostrating, bowing down before someone. Um, That's not the word for worship that's being used here. It's a different word for worship. Uh, Latruo, someone hired to accomplish a technical task because they're qualified properly to render technical acceptable service because specifically qualified or equipped. So this is more in line with service, serving. But they worship in the spirit of God. Paul paints this great picture for us uh, of worshiping in the spirit of God Uh, and this aspect of serving in Romans. So let's look at a couple of verses here from Romans chapter one. For God, whom I, Latruo, whom I worship, I serve in my spirit. How? In the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if perhaps by now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. So he talks about serving God in the spirit by he preaches the gospel of his son. And he's also praying. These are acts of service to God, um, ways that he worships God by serving. So pretty neat. What's up? No, that's cool. I've never, never knew that before, but that meaning for worship. Yeah. I've never seen that. All right. So they're the true circumcision. They worship in the spirit of God and they glory in Christ Jesus. So um, I'm about to take a little bit more time here. I'm sure you, if you're familiar with our Bible studies, you're like, wow, Phil's rushing through it. Well, <laughs> finally. Hold up a minute. <laughs> I'm going to take a few few minutes on this glory in Christ Jesus. All right. So this aspect of glorying in something is to like have your head up high. 
boasting from a particular vantage point by having the right base of operation to deal successfully with a matter. And so people who would not be boasting in the Lord would be like, I got this, kind of like me walking out in that river without, mm-hmm. sh- without you know, something to have grip on my feet with all that algae on the rocks and being like, I got this. I don't need any help. Don't touch me. I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. All right? I'm going to help you. I got this. And then being ridiculous yeah. and falling like a fool. <laughs> right? That would be glorying in my, fl- in my flesh, glorying in me. But Paul says the true circumcision, we glory in Christ Jesus. We have our head lifted high not because of what we've done, but we're actually looking at him. We're boasting in him. So let me look at a few different passages here. All right. They're they're cracking on you. That's all right. I'm going to give them a lot of reason to crack on me throughout this. (laughs) Many of them being unplanned. Hmm. All right. So 1 Corinthians 1, 26, Paul says, consider your calling, brethren. This is to the Corinthians. Consider your calling, brethren, that There were not many wise of you, according to the flesh, not many mighty. Most of y'all weren't smart. Most of y'all weren't strong. Most of y'all were not noble. Verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised things God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, um. I was trying to figure out how to say this. Uh, I don't really subscribe to the Calvinistic standpoint uh, anymore. Got a lot of great, great friends that are way smarter than me and way godlier than me that do subscribe to it. But when I was, um, I listened to a lot of Tim Keller. Uh, and I, if you have not read his book, Reason for God, you really should. It's yeah. phenomenal. He also has a book on marriage that's really good. You should check out. He also has one on this, the parable of the prodigal son. That is great. Um, just some phenomenal stuff. Really, really him. good sermons. Great He's, sermons. And yeah. one of his sermons is on this particular verse, verse 31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And he showed me a connection in that, connection to the Old Testament. That is just fantastic. To give a little bit of the context, I, I want to go back to Jeremiah 7. And so in Jeremiah chapter 7, because of the gross idolatry of Judah, you have the Babylonians surrounding uh, Jerusalem. And this is right around the turn of the century, right around 600, 597 uh, BC. You know, it's getting around that time. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar surrounded Jerusalem. The Babylonians are about to sack it. And the, the people in Judah, people in Jerusalem, they don't think it's going to happen. They think they can keep on living wild um, and nothing's going to happen because of where their boasts are, where their confidence is. So let me start in chapter seven. We're going to read several verses 
Um, and then we're going to go to chapter nine and see this connection to Paul. So here we go. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter by these gates to worship the Lord, supposedly. Thus says the Lord of hosts, hosts the God of Israel, change your ways, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. You come to worship the Lord here. You want to stay here. You have to change your ways and your deeds, and then God will let you stay. Mm. Verse four, do not trust in deceptive words saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, if you do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after the other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery and swear falsely and offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, that you may do all of these abominations? Has this house which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I have seen it, declares the Lord. That has got to be convicting to us. You know, in um, name it and claim it culture. Matthew's comment. Conditional promise. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Name it and claim it. I received this, right? God has spoken it and I stand on the promises. Okay, well, they're standing on promises too, but they were conditional promises that were being viewed as unconditional promises. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, right? The temple of the Lord. Let's say it three times and then nothing can come in. They're boasting, they're trusting in the temple of the Lord because yeah, Israel got sacked, you know, Samaria, it got sacked. But that's not where God's temple was. Temple's in Jerusalem. We're not going to get sacked. They're not going to come in here. No. What do we trust in? What are we saying? Ah, No evil will befall me because of this, this, and this. Mm. I can live however I want and nothing's going to happen. If if you can't say amen, say ouch. I mean, like, Mm. this... It's every one of us. It's me. It's Stephanie. It's all of us. We have a tendency to do this, to act this way. Hopefully, we're not going as far as the people in that day were going, where they're offering their kids, you know, to Molech and Chemosh and the Valley of Slaughter, you know, Ben Hinnom or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, what are you going to say? No. Just, yeah. It was okay. my you were in the middle of a thought, though. No, no, no. Go ahead. You go. Okay. Well, I was just going to go to chapter nine. Oh, no. I mean, I think it's, 
Yeah, I mean, our our confidence, what is our confidence in? I mean, we all want to say that our confidence is in the Lord. I don't think that, I don't even think that the people that maybe are, who's coming to mind um, as we read this, like maybe we know folks that we would say fall into this category. I don't think those folks would say that they're, they're boasting in anything other than the Lord. But um, I think we have to each examine our hearts and make sure that all of our boasting is in the Lord and that we have no confidence in the flesh. We have no confidence in that. Um, yeah, I think that we're all just a few steps away from being where we think, you know, we would never go. And um, God's grace is, is big. It's, it's, you know, unimaginable how big it is. But yeah, we can definitely... Um, get jaded to this, the goodness of God, and we can take advantage of it. And yeah. What do you say in the comments? Yeah, Matthew and Tina were talking about how grace is never an excuse for disobedience. Mm -hmm. And BRC is saying humility, not pride. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And Froggy, look at you, Froggy. Yeah. Quoting some Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Right. Yeah. Right, and pride goes before the fall. Let's look at some other things that they were boasting in. All right, so now we're jumping to chapter nine. Nothing's really changed in the context, all right, except who uh, Jeremiah is going to confront now. But same basic stuff's going on. All right, here we go. Chapter nine, verse 20. And I'd encourage you to read all of seven, eight, and nine of Jeremiah. But read the whole book. That'd be better. Chapter 9, verse 20. Now hear the Lord, hear the word of the Lord, O you women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters wailing, and everyone her neighbor a dirge. For death has come up through our windows. It has entered our palaces to cut off the children from the streets, the young men from the town squares. Death just got personified, by the way. Death is crawling, coming up in through our windows mm. to get the children, to get the young men. Thus says the Lord, the yeah, corpses... What's a, a dirge? A dirge is like a mournful song. Think about the different uh, morning psalms in the book of Psalms, right? Where they are just mourning over their, their sin. Uh, check those out. Um, so verse 22 from chapter 9. Speak, thus says the Lord, the corpses of men will fall like dung on the open field and like the sheaf after the reaper, but no one will gather them. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That's what Paul is calling us back to in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in Philippians chapter 3. And, you know, that's got to be, it's got to be confronting to anybody in our day. 
God's not going to touch me because I'm a special little boy. God's not going to touch me because I'm a pastor. God's not going to touch touch me because I've given so much of my money to the poor. God's not going to touch me because I have a seminary degree. God's not going to touch me because I'm so cute. God's not going to touch me because I'm rich. God's not going to touch me because I've got food for years stored up. God's not going to touch me because I've got all this water stored up. God's not going to touch me because I've got all the right connections. God's not going to touch me because I have a crazy security system and a wall around my house. God's not going to let anything touch me because I go to church every week. God's not going to touch me because I do Bible studies and I do podcasts. God's not going to touch me because I only write Christian songs and death is crawling in through the windows. Mm. Yikes. Don't boast in your might or your strength. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Yeah, I mean, look at Job. Like, there's nobody that was living that was more righteous than him. And God allowed Satan to bring all kinds of tragedy to him for a purpose. So it's not just that we might be atta- you know, attacked or we might have harm come to us for things that we do that are wrong. But we might just, it might be something that will be a testimony to generations to come. But yeah, we have to watch our hearts because, you know, God humbles. What what did that comment say? Uh, Tina said, wailing and dirges are real and they come from the deep groanings of the Holy Spirit, which which words cannot utter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Froggy was writing that you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, sins rain on the just and the unjust. Yeah. And right before that, he said, but love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, mm. that you may be children of your father, which is in heaven. Well, let's get back into it, into Philippians. All right. Verse, uh, verse three, where the true circumcision, you worship in the spirit of God. <laughs> And glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although, here's verse four, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I got you beat. I got you beat by a mile. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. So Paul's like, you guys want to boast in your circumcision. Bless your little hearts. Bless your little hearts. You want to compare, you want to do, you know, resume stuff? Bring it. He's like, I'll go up against any of you guys. Let's let's bring our stats. Let's go. Who's the best Pharisee ever? Who's the best follower of Yahweh ever? You know, in an outward looking thing. I got y'all beat. So he says he's circumcised on the eighth day. He's calling back to Abraham. All right. He didn't get his circumcision when he was an adult, like some of you Gentiles. No, no. I was born into this. I was born into the nation of Israel. I wasn't grafted in. I was born into the nation of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. The first king of Israel comes out of Benjamin, and that's who I was named after, right? And Benjamin, Benjamin, that tribe 
didn't go apostate like the other 10 tribes did. No, we stayed. We stayed with Judah, right? We're those Hebrews, those real Hebrews. And I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I'm going to pause right there. When we see Pharisees, some of us be like, why are you bragging, Paul? Those guys were all hypocrites. No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, if you read some of the Pharisaical writings, they have seven different types of Pharisees. And they're like, five of these Pharisees are false. These are the Pharisees writing about themselves. Like, don't be like these fake Pharisees that wear their, wear their Jewishness on their shoulder, but they don't really live it out. Don't be like these fake Pharisees that don't have a real heart for God, but they just act, you know, act like it in public. Don't be like that, right? I mean, they, they go after fake, fake Pharisees. They go after the hypocrites. But if you read writing about Pharisees by non-Pharisees, they're viewed as like some of the holiest people out there. When, when you see like the Pharisee enter the story in Jesus's parable in Luke chapter 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and they'd say a Pharisee came into the temple to pray, they would be like, yeah, godly man, let's be like this guy. They would automatically assume this guy is a very pious, he's separate, he's a holy one who shows us what it's like to be devoted to God. These guys were serious about obeying God, most of them obeying God uh, out of a pure heart. They really were. You know, if you, if you read the news and you read the newspaper, how many stories are about good stuff that happens versus how many stories are about bad stuff that happens? And generally, it's going to be like a 50 to 1 kind of ratio, right? Bad to good. And you'd think this world is going to hell in a handbasket, right? Nothing but bad happens all the time if you read the newspaper. That's not how it really is. But in the Gospels, you know, we see these accounts of Jesus dealing with Pharisees and more, way more bad than good. And that's for a reason, but that's not to, the reason is not to make us think that all Pharisees were bad people or inauthentic people. That's not the case at all. All right. Paul was a Pharisee. He was uh, schooled by Gamaliel. This guy, as we're going to see in a, in a little bit, this guy was like on track to be like the main dude, he was going to be up there in the Sanhedrin most likely. He was going to be like one of those main rabbis like Gamaliel and Shimia. Uh, so um, let's, uh, let's continue. As to, the, as to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to zeal, this burning for God, like Jeremiah saying, I got a fire shut up in my bones. As to zeal, Man, I was going way beyond you. I was a persecutor of the church. In a Jewish mind, that was that's really impressive. He's like, y'all all talk about it, but I be about it. You know, that's like the street version of Paul. He's really about this life. He's trying to crush what he believes in is, is a dangerous demonic sect, you know, this cult. That's how he's viewing it. And he's like, I'm I'm trying to shut this thing down for all y'all. I'm practicing love toward my countrymen by trying to shut this down. As to the righteousness found in the law, blameless. Let's get into this word blameless real quick. Can I just say that you're painting Paul as like a gangster? 
he is kind of a gangster. The way okay? you're talking I mean, about like, him and he, uh, like the trash talking he's doing, but it's like he's he's boasting and saying, "Look, you guys think you're hard. I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore." <laughs> but when you're talking about him being like in line to be like the big dude, I don't. I was just thinking about how disappointed and just how um, I don't know what the right word like disgusted. They must have been with Paul for walking away from that. Um, and I mean, do we have, we don't have much information about the way he was treated like that, right? Because he well, was more. Well, you see what happens in Damascus with his home people. Yeah. They, uh, or where he was going, when he's in Damascus, they try to kill him. Oh, okay. You know, right then, like his own countrymen, you mm-hmm. could say, when he flips, yeah, they're like, wait. We're going to get you, sucker. You know, we're coming after you. He has to get lowered out of a window, Mm -hmm. you know, at night. Okay, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, he's the original militia, Tina says. (laughs) Yeah. But what's crazy is this guy is not corrupt. In one of his testimonies, when he's standing before the Sanhedrin, I believe it's like in Acts 23, he says like, look, I've lived amongst my, like my whole life with a clean conscience, a clear conscience. This guy may be a gangster, but he is a he is full of integrity. He is not like deceitful. He's not a liar. He's not a hypocrite. Paul is not a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. He is very sincere in all he does. He's viewing honestly. He views the torture and arrest and all that of Christians as an act of worship. To God, but he was not worshiping in the spirit. He didn't realize that though, but he really did view that as an act of worship. Now he says, this righteousness, which is in the law, he was blameless. All right. So this word blameless means without fault, not blameworthy by omission or commission. So basically he's above reproach. In the eyes of everyone else, he is he is living a ritually pure uh, life. He is above reproach. All right. So there, there's an example of this in uh, Luke chapter 1, talking about John the Baptist's parents. I'm going to put that up on the screen. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest, named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. So Zacharias is from the priestly class and his wife is from the high priestly class. Her name's Elizabeth. And these guys are not hypocrites either. They're both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly, in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Now, that's not to say that they don't need salvation. It's kind of a general statement that these guys are above reproach. They are genuine and sincere in following God and keeping his commandments. Now, that righteousness will not save them at all. And you see very quickly with Zacharias, even if he had never sinned, he did, didn't he? just a little bit later in Luke chapter one, and he gets shut up for it. So, you know, our righteousness cannot save us, even if we are righteous in the eyes of 
the world, uh, or even in the eyes of God, um, we're eventually going to fall. Let's look at, at Paul's blameless life, all right? This is Acts 22, verse 3. He's testifying before, um, before the gathering of religious leaders there in Jerusalem. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city, in Jerusalem. I was educated under Gamaliel. Paul's name dropping here. Gamaliel at this time is like the leading rabbi. You know, he's the dude. And Paul's like, I'm that dude's disciple, okay? Strictly according to the law of our fathers. Strictly according. Being zealous for God, just as you are all today. I persecuted this way, speaking of the followers of Jesus, to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From there, I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there in Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. He's saying, look, I did everything by the book. I'm a by the book guy. I'm not a rogue guy. I'm doing exactly what God wants me. And I'm under the leadership of you know, the top rabbi. I am legit. I'm so earnest in following God. I've got the backing of the high priest to do what I did. You know, Galatians 1, Galatians 1 verse 13. You have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. I mean, this guy, if you came across Paul, you're a Jew uh, and not a Jewish Christian because you didn't want to have that happen. <laughs> But if you're just a Jew and you're around Paul, you would think like this guy is the most godly man that you've ever been around. Like so impressive, a hero to his countrymen, really. He really believed he was doing God a service by trying to annihilate the Christians, the followers of the way, following with extreme zeal, the ancestral traditions. And I want to show you one of those ancestral traditions that Jesus calls out in the Sermon on the Mount that proves Paul thought he was doing the right thing. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So just pause right there. Jesus is confronting one of the commonplace beliefs of that day from the Pharisees, one of the ancestral traditions that had developed from both Leviticus 19 and Psalm 139. In Leviticus 19, we're told, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in Psalm 139, you have David saying, don't I hate those that hate you? I hate them with the utmost hatred, <laughs> those that hate you. And so you had the rabbis put those two together that shows like to love your enemies, 
sorry, to love your neighbors, those around you would also include to hate your enemies because by hating your enemies, you're looking out for your neighbors and you're looking out, you're showing love to your neighbors and love to God. What are you going to say? No. Okay. There's a couple of comments that I didn't know if you wanted to address. Yeah. uh, Matthew said, uh, John 16, 2, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yeah, the time's coming when whoever kill you will think he's doing God a service. Yeah, that's something that Jesus, Jesus prophesied and it came true with Paul. He really believed that. He really believed this was an act of worship. Tina says, that's how so many today uh, are too, believing they are doing and saying what is right, but their wisdom is foolishness. But yeah, absolutely. Amen. But you know, one of the awesome things um, about Paul with this integrity, this sincereness, being sincere is something God can work with. God hates hypocrisy. He hates duplicity, but he can really work with someone that's sincere. Hmm. You know, God is near to all Psalm. I think it's like 145 or 146 says, I don't remember which, but it says, God is near to all, to all who call on him in truth. The sincerity of that. You're going to see God drawing near to people that are sincere. Psalm 145. 145. Yeah. Andrew says the road road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. And, and, Paul was on that road. Very good intentions. And you see, like, he actually thinks that, you know, based on the ancestral tradition uh, from that Jesus calls out, he thinks he's showing love to God by hating his enemy. But he wasn't. He was actually persecuting the God that he claimed to serve. As Jesus said to him there on that Damascus road, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so that's when you see Paul begin to change. And we're, we're starting to turn the corner now toward the end. I'm not going to say finally yet, but uh, we are coming close to the end. So Paul continues, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus, right? He was viewing all those things, right? Being uh, circumcised on the eighth day, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as the zeal of persecutor of the church, righteousness found of the law, blameless. Like this is his resume. And he thought that was gain. That, those things are getting me ahead, not just in the eyes of people, but in the eyes of God, you know? Like this is how I'm going to be successful and, um, in, in every respect of life. And what he came to realize that day when he encountered the God he thought he was serving is that all that stuff was blinding him from the truth. All that stuff that he had put confidence in was actually keeping him from being in a position to serve God. All those things that he counted as gain he now counts as loss for the sake of Christ. That word loss means damage, detriment. It's a mercantile term for like a bad deal, like an unsuccessful business transaction, which results in a penalty or fine. Now, this doesn't, it's not a perfect analogy, but we bought some pants for our son uh, recently that we thought were going to fit him great. 
and be great. What we discovered today when we opened the box is these are women's jeans. Why you why know? are there women's jeans that are like 28, 30? I don't, I don't, I've never seen women's jeans <laughs> like <we> that. <laughs> what we thought was great actually was a bad deal. You know, this, is, this is terrible. This is not going to work at all. This was a bad transaction. You know, I, as you're talking about this, this image is coming to my mind of like, now it's not, like you said, like not a perfect analogy and I'm not trying to bash makeup, but it's this image, like I keep seeing this image of like looking in the mirror with like a full face of makeup and um, thinking I look, I look pretty good. Like this is, this is a good look. And, it, and, or, you know, we always caution my son, make sure you date a girl and you see what she looks like without makeup, because that's what, you know, if you get married, that's what you're marrying, you know, those kind of jokes. But, you know, you may think you look good, but that's not necessarily the true you. And, um, you know, we need to address the true self. We need to see the true self and we need to, you know, not think we look so good while we're wearing our makeup, you know, while we're enhancing things that are there. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know, that, that image just kept coming to mind that we are, we may be looking in a mirror thinking we're analyzing ourselves, but we're not truly seeing who we are. And God is the one that knows the truth. When Paul uses this word loss in Philippians 3, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think he's making a callback to something that happened on his way to Rome. Like he's in Rome right now uh, as he's writing this in Philippians. But I think he's making a callback to something that happened on that journey, on that voyage from Jerusalem, eventually all the way to almost Rome. All right. So this is in Acts chapter 27. When considerable time, oh, sorry, let me put it on the screen. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was dangerous, since even the fast was already over, that's probably the Feast of Atonement, uh, Paul began to admonish them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. And they don't really believe him. They encounter some storms. Verse 17, after they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship. And fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Syrtis, uh, they let down the sea anchor. And in this way, they let themselves be driven along. They're in a really horrible storm. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. That word loss being, sorry, you were going to say, mm -mm. okay, that word loss being used there in its trip, you know, they brought all of this cargo 
on the ship because they think we need this cargo. We're going to need this food. We're going to need all this stuff. So we can have a great trip. We're not going to have to ration anything. We're going to be fine. This is going to be awesome. It's going to make our trip so much enhanced. Uh, and um, as they get into the storm, they realize the stuff that they thought was gain was going to cause them to sink. The stuff that they thought was going to be awesome was actually going to bring about their destruction. Mm. And so they had to get rid of that stuff in order to stay alive. What they thought was gain was loss. So they lost all of that for the sake of saving their lives, right? In a similar manner, like Paul thought, you know, this, his resume was gained to him, was helping him to experience life. But it was actually bringing about destruction because it was blinding to him of his need for God. He thought he didn't need it. And he's saying all those people that he's talking about, they, they're blinded as well. I just want to give one uh, final uh, example of uh, this, this uh, verse 7 of Philippians 3. Have a good night, D. Thanks See for you, D. Us. Thanks for hanging. Um, so finally, I will come to the end. All right. Here's Luke 18, 18. A ruler questioned Jesus saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now in that, just pausing real quick, Jesus is trying to help him clear up a misunderstanding that the man has about Jesus. He hasn't just encountered a good teacher. He has encountered God. Mm. All right, let's keep going. Because this man has an improper view of God, which also gives him an improper view of himself and an improper view of things. No one is good except God alone. Verse 20. Now, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said... All these things I've kept from my youth. So Jesus is, he's hitting on some of the latter commandments, right? The deal with our relationships with others. All right, the uh, don't commit adultery, number six, or seven rather, don't murder, for, uh, number six, don't steal. Eight, don't bear false witness. Nine, honor your father and mother. Uh, five, right? He just didn't hit on the coveting aspect. But, um, and this guy's like, done it. Check out my resume. I've been doing all those commandments since I was a boy. Now, Jesus is not really hitting on the heart issues like in the first and second commandment. Now, Jesus heard that. Let me get back to the verses. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess Distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, Jesus told him to follow him. Did the man follow him? No. Goes away. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. 
And Jesus looked at him and he said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. These things that he thought were a gain to him, his righteousness, I don't, I don't need I don't need help. I'm already there. I'm God's special little boy, right? I'm rich. I'm powerful. People know me. And I'm really good. And yet these things that were gained to him were loss, Mm. became loss. You know, those things that he had replaced God in his own life, basically. Just imagine what would have happened if he had done what Jesus said, you know, something very similar to what happened in Jericho, a chapter over was Zacchaeus. Where you see this, you know, this community just had to totally rejoiced over that repentance. But this stuff was weighing him down. Now, check out this response. Verse 26, then the disciples around Jesus said, well, who can be saved? <laughs> If this guy can't be saved, this guy who's clearly blessed by God and so holy, how can any of us be saved? Well, Jesus said, these things are that are impossible with people are possible with God. And that's something just to take home for a little bit. Um, The righteousness of the righteous man can't save him, but Jesus's righteousness can save us. We need him. We need to realize our poverty, our extreme poverty before him. As James talks about, like if we break one of the commandments, we have, we're guilty of breaking them all. Um, they all tie into uh, worshiping the Lord God only and serving him only and uh, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, Peter says, Lord, behold, we have left our homes and have followed you. Remember, Peter left his wife and his mom behind, mother-in-law behind to follow Jesus. James and John left their fishing business and their dad in the boat. Matthew left his tax collecting booth and followed And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Those who lose their life for me will find it, you know. It's just a powerful, powerful stuff, uh, powerful concept here that we're seeing. These disciples, they left their livelihood, they left their family, and they not only got a better way of life, mm-hmm. they got more family too. Yeah. And they get the king and his kingdom. And their, their lives are, are a testimony to us thousands of years later. Um, and they're a reminder to us. And I mean, how cool is that? 
that you, your sacrifice, because I mean, we all make choices in life, right? We're going to choose what we're going to do. But your choice to follow Jesus has that kind of ripple effect. Just a typical morning In a flash it all changed When words were written on pages became What my eyes saw that day See the Holy One's glory You'll know it's the end Your fire surprised me instead Your mercy I can't comprehend Won't you send me Yeah.